It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. On extensions, on contract extension. Basically because you have the news coming out that Jackson Churio, the number two overall prospect in baseball, Milwaukee Brewers outfielder, a guy who signed a... Deal out of Venezuela, signing bonus $1.8 million just a few years ago, 2021. He is on the verge of signing an eight-year, $80 million contract extension without even hitting the major leagues, just playing six games in total in AAA. And that obviously passes the the previous big deal of anybody who hadn't played in the major leagues, and that was Luis Robert, as we call him, or Luis Robert. Luis Robert, six years. Fifty million, so it blows that away. Ten, we're talking about eight years, eighty million dollars, and we know how good this kid is. But it's a bigger conversation, and one that we've had on baseballs and boring a few times. So I wanted to dive back into some of these these talks, these conversations, these questions, these answers that I've had on the podcast with GMs, and so I turned to three times we had guys on and we had this specific topic and we dove into it three guys who really know what's what when it comes to this sort of stuff obviously alex anthopoulos of the atlanta braves no one's done more deals than him alex anthopoulos has done let's let's talk about the deals that he's done ozzy albies ronald cunha jr austin riley matt olson matt harris spencer strider sean murphy all seven years or more then you have Mike Hazen. Mike Hazen last year does a deal, or in spring training, 32 games Corbin Carroll had played in the major leagues, signs into an eight-year deal, $111 million with a 2031 team option. It's a great deal because I don't know if you know this, but Corbin Carroll, he won Rookie of the Year, and he's really, really good. And then we had Jerry Depoto. Jerry Depoto also last offseason signs Julio Rodriguez to a 12-year deal. Worth two hundred nine million dollar deal, sorry, two hundred nine million dollars, and get this, Julio Rodriguez throughout the life of this contract, he'll be a free agent in two thousand thirty five, free agent eligibility in two thousand thirty five. He'll never make more than eighteen million dollars in any year. Never make you know, barring the the incentives and things like that, but. The base salary, never more than $18 million throughout the course of that contract. Now, he's got a lot of years where he's making $18 million. But think about that. He's going to get to 2034, Julio Rodriguez, and going the way that he's going and never making more than $18 million. So we all know the deal about the player's perspective, the executive's perspectives, the team perspective, the fan base's perspectives. But this is one of the most important things. And, and I'll come back to what I started this podcast after listening to these guys, and I'm going to play their conversations for you in a second. After listening, I'm really, really proud of how we've been able to advance really what's going on in baseball 
with these sort of interviews. And this was another example of it. Now, keep in mind, these interviews were done last offseason, all of them. We're going to start out with Alex Anthopoulos. That was done uh, last, uh, I believe, January. And then you have, then we'll get to Mike Hazen. Mike Hazen was done in spring training. And then we'll get to Jerry Depoto, and that was also done in spring training. But they all hold up. I mean, they all hold up. They all give a, a unique perspective. All right, enough Enough is enough about me yapping away and telling everybody how proud I am of baseball isn't boring. At BB isn't boring. At BB isn't boring. I'm going to go from being how proud I am baseball isn't boring to pounding the socials. Producer, I've been doing an outstanding job. At BB isn't boring. Also, Swing Juice, go buy the shirts. 19, oh, I'm sorry, 40% off. 40% off. All the baseball isn't boring gear. Go to Swing Juice. All you have to do is go to at BB isn't boring. You'll see the link to Swing Juice right there or swingjuice.com. I was over there just yesterday. Great people. Such great people. And we got so many things planned. I love having the collaboration we do with, with so many people, but at the top of the list, the Swing Juice people. So here we go. All right. All right. Here we go. Alex Anthopoulos. He's talking extension. The guy who is the king of extensions, is, uh, was on Baseballs and Boring Talking Extensions. Here's his perspective of it. A lot of uh, kudos, and rightfully so, for the extensions that you signed. I don't know if, if we can. there's a correlation here between saying, you, you had mentioned you know, Delgado, you mentioned Halliday, you mentioned signing those guys. You don't want to get to that point where you have to make that uncomfortable decision about turning over a roster. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. And obviously like it's it, it, every GM will tell you that in, in a perfect world, we get, we lock up our main guy for a long time, but do you look at it from, like you said at the beginning, lessons learned of like feeling, okay, you know what, this is something that maybe I, I prioritize now more than even I prioritize in Toronto. Yeah. I mean, we prioritize in Toronto. We signed Aaron Hill to an extension and Adam Lynn and Romero and Morrow. Um, trying to think if anybody else comes to mind, but we did some extensions and look, it all didn't work out, right? Romero got hurt. Moro got hurt. Lynn was a good player. Um, he ultimately got traded. Aaron Hill was a good player. Ultimately had a down year and got traded. So they didn't all work out, but we definitely tried to keep players and keep them around long, long term. Um, you know, I think, look, in an ideal world, you would wait as long as possible because we've seen it. We've seen guys win MVPs getting on tender. Guys be all-stars, and all of a sudden, they're not the same a few years later. Uh, look, we have examples for Muss. Soroka's in the Cy Young conversation. He has missed the last two seasons, um, really, and then part of 2020, the shortened season, so almost three. Um, and it just, three things have happened. And Ronald Acuna is on his way to what I thought he was going to win the MVP in 21. Uh, he gets hurt, and he, he missed time, and he wasn't the same player last year. Hopefully he'll get back to that, but you just don't know, right? That guys are going to, you know, the Hall of Famers are the ones that are elite year in and year out. And we take it for granted how hard it is to do that. But um, we definitely have taken an approach of being more aggressive and doing it early. And there's a trade-off, right? You're taking on more risk in doing that because guys get hurt. Guys don't perform. Things change. We don't have as much information on their performance and their health. And you just see the turnover across the game. So in an ideal world, you'd wait a year before free agency or right up to free agency and sign mm. these guys. But at that point, it's... You it's lose your leverage. Harder. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's a lot harder. These guys are close. They've earned that right. They've played year to year. They've earned that right to see see what's out there. Um, so you're taking on a lot more risk when you're doing it early. But, um, you know, I see how well the business side of the operation here is run. The battery, the, you know, the surrounding area in Atlanta, uh, the mixed-use development is phenomenal if anyone hasn't been out here. The ballpark's brand new. It's great environment. Um and look, we have to have a competitive team for these guys to want to stay. So right now we do have a competitive team. So they want to stay and we're trying to ensure that it stays competitive. I've said this in a few interviews. I think subconsciously growing up a Montreal Expos fan, growing up in Montreal, um, you know, I remember where I was when Delano Shields got traded. And you know, if you Charlie would tell me that all the time. I remember where I was when Delano got traded. I was upset. And he got, you know, you got Pedro Martinez in that deal. Um, I remember where I was when Pedro Martinez got traded, you know, for Armas and Carl Pavano and, and um, you know, I, that was such a great young team and it was tough that we couldn't keep those, those guys. And I look at Atlanta, the market, what we're capable of. I don't, you know, one, we're doing it for the right reasons that we think these are good players and they're going to maintain, they're going to continue to be good players. 
But also, I think it's important for the fan base as well, um, for continuity, that you buy a jersey, you know, you're going you're gonna to have the player here for a while. And um, these are great young players and are trying to keep this core around. And you don't want to be faced with a decision to have the trade guys two or three years before free agency to get value. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. It's hard to find these, these players. So it doesn't mean you're going to sign them all. It doesn't mean that you can sign them all, right? It doesn't work financially to sign 20, you know, realistically, you're not going to have 26 elite players. But even if you did, you're not going to be able to afford to sign 26 guys and have a payroll that may, makes sense, at least for us. So you have tough decisions to make, but if you have young talent that you can give an opportunity to, you're going to look to do that and keep as many guys as you can. Did you have a DeShield jersey? What jersey did the no, little No, I didn't have a jersey, but you know, I didn't buy jerseys. But You're a poster then. guy? Yeah, I'd have posters, cards. I mean, I was big into the numbers back then. I was getting the, the Bill James books delivered to my house in Montreal and so on. And um, you, know, you couldn't watch the Expos on TV much. They weren't on that much, right? So I would get them when the, we'd have uh, we had a satellite, so we'd get the Cubs. And when they paid the Cubs on, on the WGN, when they played, played the Braves on T. On TBS, yep. I'd get as many Montreal Expos games as I could. Um, you had basically the uh, the arm, the ESPN arm in Canada's TSN that had their spring training report, and you'd get 20 minutes or so, and you'd get little clips of guys throwing bullpens and so on. But I was starved for any baseball information <laughs> that I could get. You know, the internet back then is not as important. Talk radio is a big deal. Um, but, you know, a winning club really got me into baseball. I wasn't a rabid baseball fan until 1992. And that's when Felipe Alou came aboard and the Expos really started to contend. Prior to that, I liked baseball. I didn't love it. And I got the bug with a winning team. And I do think that's important as well. I saw it in Toronto 2015. We finally get back to the postseason. And I hear from people that people became fans that year. And hopefully with the Braves these last few years, that World Series run, more people became fans. And I know that we had former players at the Blue Jays saying that you know, in the in the glory days when they won back-to-back World Series, there was a lot of fans created there as well. So hmm. um, there's just a lot of value to all that across the board. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that. And I think it's an important thing. We've been talking a lot about, you know, and it's a simplistic way to look at it, but you said it, putting the name, the names on the back of these jerseys the kid wear, who they want to buy. And I, <laughs> the story I remember was um, when Nomar was traded, there was uh, somebody I know. His little kid said, oh, "Okay, well, you don't you you don't have the Nomar poster anymore. Who do you want?" He's like, "I want Ted Williams." Like, why do you want Ted Williams? Because I know he's not going to get traded. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, right? But that's a, that's a type of thing. So you know, and and so that's great. I mean, it's honestly, it's great. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, it's a, and we've, I know it's been talked a lot about this offseason, about these extensions, but for you, and you cited some of the ones in Toronto. For you, do you, in simplistic terms, are you better at it? Like, in other, there's an, are, there must be a little bit of an art to it, not only in terms of the timing, but in terms of approach, in terms of selling them, because that has to be part of it, right? I mean, I'm not selling in a bad way, in a malicious way, or in a, in a you know, a roundabout way, but it's just, in terms of saying, hey, this is why this is good for you to make these guys understand, because Alex, we've seen it. I mean, we've this has changed. It's really gone like about five or six years ago. I think it was a lot harder to do these things because maybe players were digging in. Have you gotten better at it? No, I, look, I think there's a combination of things. So I remember 2015 um, being in Toronto and Josh Donaldson's on his way to winning the MVP. And we were playing well. We were second half of the season after trade deadline in August, September. And I remember just having a conversation with him. You know, there was a lot of talk about getting players to Canada and there's no ESPN and this and that. 
And I said, you know, what do you what do you make about all this stuff? You know, because J.P. Ricciardi was successful signing big-time free agents to come to Toronto. And mm. the years before that, Pat Gillick and Paul Beeston were signing elite free agents, right? Jack Morris, Dave Stewart. Yeah, and with, uh, it, with, you know, with they were signing Roger Bur- Clemens. Yeah, Burnett and B.J. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Right, so guys, guys were going, right? But there was this thought process that maybe they didn't want to come and so on. And I asked them, I said, you know, what is it and what can we do better as an organization? How do we, and we felt really good about the team. The clubhouse, David Price had come over. He, he loved being there. He really enjoyed it. So I was feeling good about where we were as an organization at the time. And I remember asking him, like, what do you think if there's a knock? He goes, you hadn't won. Because if you start winning, you know, that ultimately takes care of it. And I think back to all these different cities and markets that have had, had success bringing players in. It's when they're winning, you know, so. Like, look, it's not a coincidence that, you know, we're signing guys when we're in a position that we've won. We've made, made the playoffs the last few years. And we have a new ballpark, a great facility. Atlanta is a very desirable place to play. Um, you know, I think our support staff does a very good job. But I do think winning's a big part of it. Now, if we were perennially under 500 or 100 lost team three years in a row, um, maybe, you know, it wouldn't be the same thing. But um, I know, you know, Roy Halladay said this at the time. You know, we have to trade him. But he said, you know, for him, free agency was about choosing where you want to play. And we're in a position currently that we have a good club. And I think of what Josh Donaldson said at the time is, I haven't had a player come out and tell me this is exactly the reason. I mean, look, there's we can go through examples of guys that have gotten hurt or haven't played as well as we thought they were, they were going to play and got themselves guaranteed money and so on. And look, we've given out some big contracts as well. Austin Riley's deal is the biggest contract in the history of the Braves. Braves have been around a long time, had a lot of great players. Never done a $200 million deal before. We did it for him three and a half years away from free agency. You know, and he loves being here. Matt Olson's second highest uh, guarantee in the history of the Braves. Um, you know, and they were done in the same year. So uh, we're still giving out strong contracts. Now, the other guys that are smaller deals, they're young enough that they're going to get a second contract, right? So the Albies, Acuna, Harris, Strider, uh, you know, there's two types of contracts. One that's going to take you through your prime probably your mid-30s and so on. And then the other one where you're going to get a second deal. So Olsen and Riley is their one big deal, right? That's going to take you through the age of 35. That's their one big deal. So, um, And then you got other guys that are doing deals at 21, 22, and they'll get a second. So um, it all depends. You know, with Riley, we talked about a shorter deal, and then we talked about a long deal. and We ultimately came to an agreement. But, um, you know, again, they get to what I believe is their first choice. They get to stay in their first choice of where they want to be. Um, so, look, I don't think there's anything I know. I don't think there's anything more to it than that. We're also doing it really early, right? Mm. At the time we did his deal, it was six years away from free agency. It's the biggest guaranteed contract in the history of the game for a guy with less than a year of service time. I think Eloy Jimenez was the highest at $43 million at the time. Then you got a $100 million deal. Trout had gotten a $144 million deal, I think, at the time with two years of service, if I remember correctly. But again, the contracts have moved and things have changed. Um, you know, Strider and Harris are six years away from free agency when we're doing their, their deal, right? We're still far away. We have those guys, no matter what, for the next six years, whether they want to be here or not. So um, we're doing them a lot earlier than we would have. You know, and most times we wait until guys are a year out or two years out. And I think that's the biggest change. We're just doing it, and we're taking on a lot more risk in doing that. So. Look, we'll find out if it works. I hope so. I mean, I know all parties want that. Players want to play well and have success. Club certainly wants that. But we understand. I've said this. No one plans on having a bad year. No one plans on being hurt. It happens. We're human beings. So um, there, there's a trade-off there. We're certainly sharing risk. And hopefully we want these to work out for both sides. The guys are performing well. You remember the, so obviously I've never sat in your seat. I don't know what it's like to be a GM. I don't know what it's like to be a player who's getting assigned to an extension. Um, but I'm kind of curious. Do you remember the first time, like Acuna, right? Oh, you said really, really early, really crazy early. Like who? It, yeah, much it, earlier than I had ever done. And it was scary. It's like, why don't we wait a little bit? You well, know? that's my, that's my question. So uh, you said, how does this work? I, I, I want to identify the first time that you remember. You're sitting over some wings or maybe some poutine. I don't know. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or ketchup right. flavored. No stereotypes. Uh, but, right. No, well, I, mean, I don't know. You're just in Montreal. I mean, they, someone told me they have ketchup flavored p- potato chips. It sounds oh, they're just, unbelievable. Oh, oh, come on. Ketchup chips. I'm telling you. Come on. They're incredible. They're incredible. Stick just, with me. Stick listen. with me. I know I just, your, your face just went. No, man. Forget, forget the thought about it. Let me ask you something. 
You eat potatoes and you eat when you combine them. It's not crazy. It's the thought of chips going with it. Give it a shot. It'll change your life. All right. You just, of all the great decisions you've made this offseason, I, I just uh, started rethinking every single I'm gonna one send, of them. I'm going to send you a bag. All right. All right. Fair enough. All right. Um, so I apologize for stereotyping. Are you sitting no, over? You're, you're you're um you're sitting at whatever in Atlanta, and you're eating something with a couple of bodies, and you turn to someone and said, "Hey, you know barbecue. what? Barbecue, barbecue. Okay, no stereotypes. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're the not, poutine we, in Quebec. We, 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 <laughs> the barbecue, the, the barbecue in Atlanta. We Go keep stuff. We keep stuff in I'll have some chowder when I'm in New England. Uh, well, exactly. So maybe may, maybe it happened there, but you turned to someone, uh, one of your trusted uh, uh, coworkers, and said, "You know what? You know, I think it's, maybe we should talk to Acuna." Like they said, "What? What are you crazy? It's super early. What are you doing?" Uh, do you remember that first conversation that you had when it, when uh, that was hatched? Yeah, I think it was um, spring training. Okay. Um, I think it was spring training of 19. I think we signed them in April of 19. So I think spring training, um, maybe it was, I don't think he was having, you know, I think, yeah, because we, right, he had, we had called him up. He'd had a great year. Um, you know, scuffled early on. Then, you know, he was good, not great. If people look, he actually made a pretty significant swing change. Um, at the all-star break. So with, with his bat and he changed his bat was more on his shoulder. He changed it to more of a, an upright bat position uh, right around the all-star break. And he really, you know, emerged because he was striking out quite a bit and he was still good, but he wasn't as good a hitter as he was the last two months of the season. Carried that into a very short series against LA, but he played well, had a big grand slam off of Bueller. Um, but I think maybe sometime in, in spring training was maybe the first time we just, you have a lot of time in spring training, right? You're together with your you group. Sure you sure do. Yeah. <laughs> the games don't mean anything. Um, that's a lot of time when I think teams start thinking about extensions and contracts, and you know, because there's it's a it's a very relaxed environment. You can have good conversations. A lot of your staff is there together. You can talk to people and so on. Um, but that's probably the first time maybe we talked about it. But we had just seen him play so well for three or three months, or well, really the last two months of the season. Um, but again, I had never given out a contract of $100 million before as a GM. Certainly not for a guy with less than a year of service. It certainly hadn't been done in, in the game. Um, and again, you know, we were looking at if he is Mike Trout or guys like that, I think he had got, again, $140, $144 million as two years of service or maybe three at arbitration eligible. Mm. Um, but he was so dynamic. And I remember saying this at the time, I'd just come from L.A., where I had watched Corey Seager come up and play exceptionally well. I'd watched Cody Bellinger come up and play exceptionally well. Back-to-back years, 2016-2017. Um, even though Seager came up at the end of 2015, his first full season was 16, Bellinger 17 as well. And, I, you know, it's a game of comparisons. That's basically what scouting sure. is. Yeah, yeah. And, and you could look at the data and everything. But And as good as those two were, and they, they were great, Acuna at the time looked better. You know, and that's saying a lot, right, because those guys are – elite players even to this day. So I think it was just one of those things that, wow, I've never seen someone this good, this talented, this young. Look, we did the same thing with Strider. Yeah. You know, it's it's scary to sign starters early like, like that, but I've been in baseball since 2000. I've never seen it. You know, I've never seen the total package of stuff, makeup, work ethic. He broke Randy Johnson's strikeout record as a 23-year-old. 20, you know, I mean, it's just you don't see it very often. So Maybe and don't overcomplicate things. You know, I've, I've seen enough players and been around. And you're buying the person and you believe in the work ethic. Sure, yeah, yeah. You can never guarantee health. But, wow, this guy is so exceptional, so talented, so good. Um, if we can get it done now, why don't we go ahead and try to get it done and avoid so, arbitration and all that stuff. So there's a couple of ways that you can approach it. I would imagine the, the common way is to go through the agent. Um, but I always have this story. I love this story. Beckett, Josh Beckett told this story about they were in Tampa in uh, his first year of the Red Sox. He had a five ERA in July. And, wow. and yeah, five in July. Like, I remember and, he got extended. That's right. Well, so what happens at five ERA, Terry Francona walks out to him during BP and says, hey, you'd be interested in signing extension. And he's sitting there, you know, with a bad MRI. 
you know, with, uh, you know, this five ERA. And like, yeah, of course, you know, of course. So my point is. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Is that Terry Francona walked out and said hey, he would be interested in extension. I don't know if, if you guys do this. I'm not saying negotiating, but I'm saying, do you say, hey, you know, would you be interested in what their reaction is? Would it be like, oh, my goodness? Because another thing I always remember is Mookie Betts telling me, saying, of all the times the Red Sox trying to extend him, the most difficult time to turn it down, not even a question, was the first time because you've never seen that amount of money. So uh, I don't know how that worked for you if you got a yeah, chance to talk I, to him. I think the way I view this stuff is um, it's something you have to want to do, right? Because ultimately the goal is for it to not blow up in anyone's face, right? You don't, you're not looking for it to be a terrible club deal where a guy gets hurt, guy's not performing. No one's life is good at that point, right? The GM's being criticized. You know, the team's not as good because the player's not performing. Player's life isn't probably great either. Sure, he's got the guaranteed money, but fans are probably on him, expectations, media. So, you know, to me, it depends the way you're wired, right? Some people want to go year to year. Um, they want to get to free agency, and that's there's, they've earned that, right? So I view it as uh, it's a player-specific thing, and some players just don't have any interest in doing it, and that's completely fine. We've got a player for six years, one way or the other. You know, now if they win awards now with the way the CBA changed, they could be five, but still, it's a long period of time. So if ultimately a player chooses they want to go year to year um, and, you know, get the free agency and like Royale, they said choose where they want to play, that's completely fine. But I think, you know, some players, if it's early enough, choose they, they do want to stay, you know, and they do want to be in a certain place. So I, I just think it's, uh, it's not, I don't think it's all that complicated in terms of, if a player wants to do it, then you have a window to get the deal done. Some players just don't have any interest in it, right? They just they want to go year to year. They want to get to free agency, and that's completely their right. So just like everything else, um, I don't think it's any more complicated than that um, because, you know, maybe someone's from a, the East Coast or the, mm. or the West Coast or they have family or maybe the club they're on is not a competitive team. And you know what? They say, I want an opportunity to go to a competitive team. Um Maybe they're a reliever and they want to be a starter and they want to get an opportunity somewhere else. Maybe they're not happy in a certain city for whatever reason or their family's not happy in a certain city. So um, it's really unique for every player. Um, and I just don't think it's always exactly about the dollars. There's a combination, of it, right? Especially if you're talking about signing long-term. I think ultimately you have to be willing and you have to want to stay there. And some guys, for whatever reason, don't. All right, I love it. I love it. I love it. Some good Ronald Acuna Jr. talk. And, you know, that was even before he won the MVP. All right, next up, Mike Hazen. Mike Hazen, his plan is working. The blueprint is working. Now, he's already gone back and said he's retired from baseballs and boring after not winning the World Series. But that doesn't mean we can't play him. And he also retracted his retirement because he came on with us at the GM meetings. But that also doesn't mean we can't play, replay some of the most most noteworthy things that he has said. And this was noteworthy. This was obviously stemming off the Corbin Carroll contract extension. Like It's amazing. Corbin Carroll had only played 32 games. 32 games. And they sent him an eight-year, $111 million deal with a team option. Well, good instincts, Mike. Here you go. Here's Mike Hazen. Speaking of Alex Anthopoulos, uh, he signed a bunch of extensions along the lines of what sort of you did with Corbin. Um, I, I asked this question because I'm kind of interested. When was the first – do you remember the moment where you said, hey, you know what? I think it might be a good idea to sign this guy to an extension. And I think that uh, – who was it? Oh, I know. When I asked Apoto this with Julio Rodriguez, he said when he was 18. When he was 18. Now, maybe you were like in a Chili's in Tempe. I don't know. Again, uh, 
poor eating habits or whatever. No offense to Chili's, but uh, do, you, do, do, you, do you do you remember? Do you remember? You no, know, you can the, choose to have a salad at Chili's, right? That, like, that's true. You don't have to go with the fajitas. Like just that's saying. true. So, so when you were having your Cobb salad at Chili's, was that what? When was the first time that you actually thought, "Hey, this is a good"? I mean, you think about it, but when was the first time those words came out of your mouth? Maybe to somebody else. I don't know. I don't know that we had an exact moment like that. I, I think when we drafted him. Um, the things we, we felt very fortunate to draft him. You know, he fell where we were relative to how we saw him as a player. So that was one of those days on draft day. I think he went 16th. You know, you're kind of keeping your fingers crossed for 15 picks. He was definitely in our top couple um, that we were hoping was gonna, we're going to fall all the way down, which when you're picking there in the draft, you're pretty much, you know, you know you're dealing with a small percentage that that's actually going to happen. And it, it used to happen a little bit more back in the day when there was a little more, you know, bonus manipulation type stuff. And that doesn't go on anymore, which is great. So it's... It's it's um, so it, it fell to us and and we got very fortunate to have selected him and we did a lot of work on his makeup and knew a lot of these things and honestly I I don't believe I'm sort of exaggerating this that a lot of those same characteristics and qualities he had when he walked in are the same things that we see every single day here. There's a level of consistency that he's demonstrated with his discipline and attention towards becoming a great baseball player um, that only further cemented as we went through it. And and we didn't really think about doing anything like this because I don't necessarily think you do as a minor leaguer. Once he came up last year, we started talking about it last offseason about, you know, probably unlikely that it's going to happen because most of these things don't end up happening. You know, you have these ideas that you might get something done and most of them fall through uh, for, for, for various reasons, one side or the other. Um, but we wanted to at least take that risk. And, and, you know, when you open the door to these things, it is a risk because, because if they don't get done, you know, there's a level of professionalism and, and people know sort of the business that it didn't get done, not because you don't like the player or whatever. You just couldn't come to a value. But you have opened the door and exchanged numbers to where I think a player can at least say, I turned down X amount of dollars if they didn't get a, a, a deal done, even if we didn't think it was fair. That's always a little bit of a risk in, your, in, in, in the back of your mind that when you open that door, you can't close that door back up. You can't pretend like it didn't happen. You know, if if the deal doesn't get done and the feeling is we shortchanged our offers and, and, and we weren't presenting fair offers. Um, those are the, those are the challenges with doing the, especially as early as we did it. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we felt like the longer we, how we feel about the player, the longer we waited, we, we, we just felt like it was going to become tougher to get a deal done. And so, we felt like we were going to put our effort into actually trying to make a deal, not not get the best deal, obviously, um, you know, in terms of uh, of of what, who, 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 quote unquote, won the deal. That wasn't really our intention. Our intention was to try to strike a fair deal for how we felt about the player. And then we felt like the message that sent to our clubhouse that we were starting to do some of these things. You know, there's other teams that have done more of them. We haven't. We've done a couple. We felt like, you know, we felt like it was an important step for us, given where we are. It's interesting. You talk about the the dangers of of trying and then not being able to do it. And, you know, the, I remember Mookie Betts told me, he said, the first one, the, first, the hardest one to turn down, and they went to him, whatever, three or four times, oh, you guys, whatever. So, he said the first one was the hardest one because you never see that much money. But once you get past that, I would imagine the player, to your point, the player is sort of, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Um, have you seen that? Like, have you seen where, like, where you make the initial offer and then sort of this, I don't want to say emboldened, that's not the right word. But when we go back to it, the, back in the day when you were with the Red Sox, I remember Papelbon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this out all the way. Some guys are confident in that. Like, but could you see like guys like after turning down the first one, sort of being emboldened? So it's like, I'm going to get to the finish line here. Sure. I, I, you know, the challenge with this one was, you know, some of those typically, at least in the past, they've, they've had, they're happening now, I think a little sooner in their career, you know, back in the, in the past, it would be sort of more of an arbitration extension, right? Like it would be a few years of arbitration, couple years of free agency, four or five year deals. And, and you're starting to see longer deals, um, gotten done at earlier ages, which, 
you know, the longer deal because the, the he's younger, going to get to free agency younger. So from the team standpoint and the longer deal for a player, that makes sense. Like if I'm going to do something like this, I'd, I'd rather it, you know, be more significant and longer rather than shorter, just tying up arbitration years. So you can see the incentives to do it on, on both sides. It's interesting you asked me that question. Two days ago, I was talking to a former major league player in our clubhouse and he said that exact thing. They came to him. We were talking through sort of this exact scenario and he brought up his experience and the club had come to him with an extension and he turned down the first one and he thought he was crazy. Like he turned it down, but he's like, I couldn't, you know, that, that next couple of days I had some sleepless nights. Like this was the most money I'd ever seen. I can't believe it. And then he's like, I turned down two or three more after that, that were more. And But I didn't feel the same way. I felt better about turning them down. So that exact same scenario did happen, in fact, where he said the first one, which was the lowest one, was the hardest one to get over initially. So going forward, is that the lesson? Is that the lesson where, you know, a lot of times, you know, front offices will slow play it. We'll say, hey, you know, we want to get this. And like you said, this you don't like to say who won, who lost, but it's a business. So you slow play it in the sense of, okay, we're going to kind of come in lower and see if they take it. So with that experience, with with the sage advice that not only did I give you, but you're that former player, going in, do you say, we got to be aggressive in that first one? Not not overly aggressive, but aggressive. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't think there's any lessons. I really don't. I think, you know, you try to take lessons from everything you do in this game. You make so many mistakes that you're constantly forced to address things from a lesson standpoint. Yes, um, I've made so many mistakes at this point in my career. I, I, I can't. I've stopped counting. Um, so I, I'm, but I'm not sure there's a lesson because each one of these is so specific to the individual. You know, like I, I you know, we take a particular approach. We'll, we'll continue to refine that approach and think about our approach in those in those environments. I think, you know, to me, the lesson I go back to is like the ones that we haven't done has, is that the reason they haven't gotten done or not? It's hard to necessarily just splice it down to that, like the first offer, because, you know, there's some people that view first offers at first offers and that that's what it's going to be. And if you keep negotiating, then that first offer kind of gets put in the rearview mirror. If you, if it's a one and done, then yeah. Like if you make a, if you make a proposal, they just say no and you don't get a counter, then yeah, maybe, maybe you didn't read you know, the correct environment or they, they had no intention of signing a deal. And, and the, the, all of those things could be a play with, with, with these things. I, that's why I've always said the mindset that you just, the percentage chance you're actually even going to get one of these done is very low relative to the amount of times that we either consider exploring it or actually explore it. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, I, it's just not the right time for everybody, or it might not be the right time for the team to look at it in a way that the player's looking at it. And and whatever the dynamics leading up to that contract are, or the mindset of the player wanting to go and max out dollars through arbitration and, and then just hit free agency at year six. Um, it it's so hard to pin down. I don't really think I have, <laughs> I don't think I have enough experience in this area to really say that there's any type of blueprint that I've figured out. And you're dealing with different agencies with every one of these things too. So there's, there's not really a lot of common threads here that you can think that you could replicate a, a process is, is, and, and, and we all like to stick with a process, develop a process or try to execute a process in this world. It, I think it's pretty complicated, but Aside from the player, this is then there's the team aspect of it. And one of the things that Alex Anthopoulos had talked about, because obviously they've done a crap load of these, uh, and he's made a lot of good decisions, potato chips not being one of them. But it's it's one of these things where you get this done and 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 he felt like once you get one done like this, or a few of them done, now yeah, different agencies, different people and everything, but there is that feeling for the next one you try to do, okay. Look at what we're doing here. We have the foundation. I don't know if, if that's how one of the benefits of this is, hey, you know what? Look at everybody. We're building the foundation, and here's an example of it. So be part of that foundation. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so we're in a different spot than the Braves are in, right? Because for the last three years, we haven't won to the extent that the Braves have won. And I think that creates a different type of environment. That's the environment we had in Boston back when we did some of those extensions, right? It was a, a feeling for some of the younger players to want to continue to build what they had grown up in, the environment that they were raised in, probably enjoying and embracing the environment that they were raised in. Um, you know, when we had that group of like Pap, Ellsbury, Petey, Uke, 
you know, that that the Johnny Lester, Clay Buckles, like that whole group that kind of in it through the years kind of got raised up together and came on the scene together. Um I think that has, yes, I do think that, and, and, but it's a little different for us than it is for the Braves. You know, the Braves also have that winning, and we had that winning behind us in Boston. Uh oh, lights go off. Hold on. No, no, I see you fine. Hold on. Okay, there you go. Oh, Ready? yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. man. It was, it was actually right. better, better right. with the lights. Right. The energy saving uh, procedure. Oh, yeah. Like, like emergency <laughs> energy saving. You, you guys think of everything. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think for us, we haven't won the last few years. Our roster has rolled over. I I took some of those sort of uh, bedrock players for us, Goldie, Zach Greinke, and I traded them. Um, and made the decisions we made at the time. You know whether how you view them now, however you view them, that's fine. I view them in a certain through a certain prism. But <clears throat> when you take those guys out of your clubhouse via trade, whether you felt like you had to do it or not, it it leaves a, a hole and that hole we've been trying to fill and have some players that have filled some of those holes, but not to the extent that I feel like we've needed to, to consistently win. And yes, I think part of the impetus for us in getting this deal done was laying some markers down with certain players that we feel and now going to be here. And we have a good farm system of some hot, really high end players that are going to be breaking onto our club in the next year or so. And being around Corbin and not having Corbin leave halfway through that process, that this group has a chance to stay together without us having to come up with some type of contractual um, situation that that forces that to happen. Like he's now going to be here. And so that message to me has been sent. I do think it reverberates. Um, It won't matter for every player obviously it just in in the sense that some guys are going to still want to go all the way through and that's fine um it just we're trying to at least take some chances to keep that group together all right mike hazen never disappoints also who another person who's on been on multiple times jerry depoto seattle mariners now this one he's we're talking about julio rodriguez Julio Rodriguez, I mean, all these guys that have signed, all these GMs, it feels probably pretty good right now about what they did. Julio Rodriguez, fourth in the MVP voting after getting his extension. That must make everybody feel pretty good. And also, a pillar of the community, face of the franchise. There's a lot going on when it comes to extension. And one of them is that when you get a guy and you lock... This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I came up. That's the guy. That's the guy that you can say, all right, hey, kids, buy their shirts, because buy the posters, buy the whatever, because they're going to be around for a long time and they're going to be really, really good. Julio Rodriguez, the epitome of that. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for all the GMs to joining us. Thank you for everybody for listening. I know this has been a long one. Winter meetings coming up. Plenty of winter meetings content. Here you go. Here's Jerry DePoto. Yeah, it's funny. You bring up Trout. It made me think. You know, obviously you do the extension with Julio, you know. Did you try to do that with Trout? Like early? I, early I did. Uh, it just wasn't as long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah. Uh, Mike, I did with one of, actually one of the, the maybe the biggest, biggest extension in our baseball life at that time was uh, Trout. We did, I think, a six-year, $144 million extension for him uh, as a two-plus. And, you know, with Julio, we got a little bit more aggressive than that. And, you know, God bless Ulysses Cabrera and Julio for loving to be a Mariner. But, you know, we had a, a couple of conversations and it turned into something more complicated, more grand, and that has a chance to keep them here for, you know, maybe the next 17 years, which would be something. <laughs> would be something. What, uh, did you, uh, this is a, another cliche question. Did you learn anything? Like you said, like Julio's a little bit before even Trout. And, um, and this has been, as we said, our, our potato chip loving friend, Alex Anthopoulos, has done a really good job of this recently of locking guys up. But going through this process, did you did you learn? Have you learned anything about 
hey, maybe, uh, maybe you know, we did Trout 2+. plus. We maybe could have even done it earlier, and maybe that's what we should do with Julio. I don't know. Is there anything to that? I think there's a lot to it, you know, and I have the benefit of, you know, my a lifetime ago in my playing days, I came up with the Cleveland Indians right at the time that the Indians were transitioning from, you know, like the major league version with oh, the yeah. planes and the, you know, no belt on your pants to what was you know, a 10 year run of a dominant team in the, in as the, the divisions I, I broke in, we were in the AL East. And then, you know, a, a year later, the, the central is born. So it was a, a, a unique time, a new Stadium and the Indians were really the, the like the forerunners and in, in doing extensions for young players and you know signing guys like Jim Tomey signing guys like I'm looking around the diamond you know roughly everybody but Albert Bell and Kenny Lofton you know it was Carlos Baerga I give you another one Paul Sorrento Paul Sorrento exactly. kind of deal yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know it, it, they did fun deals with a lot of young players and and kept them there for for a number of years. And I look back at it now, and you know, I think the for the for the smaller middle market teams, that is a, a wonderful business plan. Is the that's the way that you you build in. You're going to take some risk, and every one of those deals that you sign isn't going to work to the advantage of the club. But if you do them enough, and and you you know you have enough of a of a foundation built around players that you sign for the long term, and you believe in the person that you're mm-hmm. signing. Uh, you know, if you do that, even if you miss on one or two along the way, it'll work out to your benefit and and you'll be able to keep a good club together with faces and names that resonate with your fan base. And, that, you know, it's, that's the, the saddest, you know, state of affair for, for smaller market teams is that the players move on so quickly. And, you know, it's I remember back when I first got to Boston and, you know, it's how the, how connected the, the fans were to the best players that we had, and, you know, and, you know, when Nomar Garcia Parra ran out on the field, it, it was, it, he was like a public trust, you know, in addition to being a great baseball player. And, you know, and you, and you want to see that. I, I felt the same way playing with Jim Tomey in Cleveland. And, you know, it's sad the day that they leave and, you know, the, the contract that we've been able to do with Julio, we've done others, Andres Munoz and JP Crawford and Marco Gonzalez and, you know, taking a book out of those Indians days, which I think is, you know, similar to what, you know the double a is doing now in atlanta and it's i think it's good business and it it allows players to achieve a bigger payday earlier in their career they're taking some risk the club is taking some risk but some of these like julio's and maybe the one that that devers just did they're they're considerably more lucrative than what was being signed in the early 90s with the tribe. well so i i asked uh alex this in in it's the do you remember the moment? And in him, in his case, you remember the moment when you decide, okay, I think we should we should approach Acuna about a contract. Um, so I'm going to ask you about this about Julio. Do you remember the moment? Because maybe it's maybe it's like when he's in the minors. Like I, you know, obviously there's been examples of you know Longoria, whoever, very very early, early, early. Do you remember that moment where you said to someone, "Say, you know what? I think we like everything about this kid." I think we, whenever we get the chance, we should broach this subject. Do you remember? Was it out of Chili's or was it, you know, it could be anywhere. Where was it? I think it's probably right here in yeah. pure Arizona, watching him in his first spring training uh, and and how easily he acclimated himself with the big league guys. And he, he stood out, you know, and he was, uh, he's, at the time, 18 years old, and it, it was hard not to be taken by not not just, you know, the, the physical talent, which was pretty obvious, but getting to know the person. You know, we've known Julio since he was 16 years old, and you know, in, in a lot of ways, he finished his education in our programs. He, he grew up uh, at, at our facility in the Dominican Republic. We've gotten to know his family, and, and I think there's a, a collective trust that we believed in him, we believed in his in his talent, we believed in him as a player and his maturity level to handle something like this. You know, it's one thing when you hand out you know a lucrative multi-year deal to a player at that young an age. It's another thing entirely when you give them multi-generational, life-changing money. And mm-hmm. uh, and I can't say enough about how much we believed in Julio as and in, in his emotional. Uh, so it was that young. It was that young, huh? I mean, it was like yeah. eighteen. You said. Hey, listen, I think that we should talk about 
a, a 17 year contract. <laughs> but you know, you know, the lifetime, you know, lifetime, lifetime deal. Yeah, lifetime deal. <laughs> I mean, I, I say this I, in the fun game that we play. Um, I always use Theo actually as this, as, as the inventor of this game and in his hiatus in 2005, he was doing an event. And someone asked him, who would you start a team with? And he said, Felix Hernandez. And I saw, I loved like that conversation. So when people ask me, I said, I say Julio Rodriguez. I mean, that's the guy. There's no right answer, but I mean, there's a right answer for you, I guess. But for me, it's that's who I, I feel. I feel better about my answer anyway. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's some of it. It's, it's about age. It's about talent. It's about where he is in his career arc and where we in our, where we are on our win arc. You know, it's, it's also about the personality and the way he connects with fans, the way he connects with teammates. You know, there's, there's something to be said for, you know, if, when we look back and think in our lives about all the teams that we've, that we've watched and grew up watching. When you think of a team, you know, immediately you see the logos, you see, the uniform in your mind's eye and then your lens you almost always see a, a player mm-hmm. like who's your player and you know it's I, I i venture to guess right now when you look at the mariners depending on your era we've had some really iconic players guys like ichiro and ken griffey jr and edgar martinez felix you know i i think julio has all of that to be among you know that group if his career goes as it could and have you have you noticed any have you noticed any difference in him i mean this is my guess is no but you know uh, still you have a lot of money yeah, you know it's it's not you're not leaning on the major league per diem for spring training anymore you know it's like you get a lot of money and you're you no forget about the money i mean it's the it's the era. It's the air. It's the responsibility. It's the you're the guy, and there is that sense of of um, hey, you know, I don't have to worry about that. That's great. But there's also the sense I would imagine of hey, I'm being looked up to more than ever before in my life. I think he always carried himself that way, and is even from the youngest age, he's always carried you know an air of responsibility as a leader with his teammates. He's always been the guy who was enthusiastic and wanted to to he wanted people to to gather around him. And I you know I've said it before, part of what made our team fun going into the postseason last year is that that we are young, play with a ton of energy, and and our guys like when people are watching. You know, it's a, they they like to show them what they can do and and uh, they've never been on those you know types of stages before but they, they they invite the light and you know i think that really that that has a chance to really be a big benefit for us because you know our, our most talented youngest players are, are coming up at a time where they just watched you know a 21 year old kind of take the league by storm a little bit and you know by mid-season you know, at the start of the year it was a fun project and by the middle of the season you're thinking oh my god he's got a chance to be a star in celebration of opening day we've got a special episode of the moth podcast for you the theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people i gaze out at the players on the field and then i uh i look over at my dad and i i realize that in the silence between us that Something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.